Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Remember, my friends, join me over at Apple Podcasts. Like, share, do everything you got to do. The contest is still running to win yourself a brand new Leverpresso from our friends at leverpresso.com portable espresso maker that you can take to work or the rink or wherever you got to go. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Share, share, share. Like, tag me. Tag Brenton on tour. Hope you like my trusty new logo. Thanks to Chris and Lonnie for that. Mikey P for the intro and the awesome work behind the scenes to try to make me sound half decent. DeanBlendell.com for hosting me over there and your amazing staff, Rookie, Randall, and Georgie for keeping it rolling. Todd Hancock at the Todd Hancock Toddcast podcast for all the great advice. It just keeps going. So many people are jumping on board to give me a hand and it's the best. Welcome back, friends. Yeah, it's part two of my interview with Jeremy Gersey from Jay Gersey Coffee, barista to the stars. Well, you know, let me tell you something. The guy has broken down walls in Hollywood. He was the first guy to really offer gourmet, amazing coffee on movie sets and it got him gigs with Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz, Dr. Phil, you name it. He's made corn coffee for the band. He's made coffee for Machine Gun Kelly. He just keeps evolving. It keeps going and going. I've had it. It's great. This story that we're going to get into now is a little longer than part one because there's just so much to tell. He's going to talk about his roastery. He's going to talk about how he actually roasts the beans, which is very unique to what he does. We were down in uh, the beach by Newport Beach uh, in a hotel and had a great chat. So here we go. Oh, no, I, I can't drink coffee late at night. It keeps me up. <laughs> You're listening to the Brenton on Tour Coffee Cast, brought to you by things that make coffee, people who make coffee, people who love coffee, and maybe just coffee. You have no idea who he is, but he's on the search for the best coffee in the world. So pour a cup, grab a seat on the john, and maybe, just maybe, you'll stop drinking shitty coffee. It's the Brenton on Tour Coffee Cast with your host, that guy you don't know. Here's BD. I was doing movie after movie after movie. Could not break into television with my coffee. Um, usually you're in TV, you can't break into film. I'm doing film after film. I did Dust Till Dawn. I was a Men in Black, Jerry Maguire. Didn't have my children at that time. And, but couldn't get a break in television. And so I was in film school. I went, that's what I studied in school. And I basically went through the credits of two TV shows that I knew shot on the same lot. Uh, one was a show called Hearts of Fire, which uh, starred the late John Ritter and Billy Bob Thornton. And the other one was Seinfeld. I knew they shot on the same lot. And so what I did is, um, more trade secrets here. You mean they didn't shoot in New York City? What? 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 <laughs> no. Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood. Actually, Studio City. So what I did is I scanned the credits. I took the producer's name out of the credits and I cold called 
the production office. I asked to speak to the producer of Hearts of Fire, and I scanned the credits of Seinfeld, and I knew who the, I saw who the producer was of that show. And I used her name, and I randomly said, I called up this guy. He got on the phone with me. I said, hey, is this Doug Jackson? Yes, it is. I go, my name's Jeremy. I have this company, Mocha Kiss. We do all the coffee on Seinfeld. It was a complete lie. I didn't know anybody on Seinfeld. I said, yeah, Nancy Sproul. She's the producer. She told me you would be interested. Complete BS was all a lie. She, he goes, oh, yeah, I know, who, I know who Nancy is. I don't know her, but I know who she is. Well, if you're good enough for Seinfeld, we'll try you out and we'll give you a shot. And if we don't like you, we'll never use you again. So that got me on the actual film lot. And then I got on Hearts of Fire. And then what did I do? I took drinks over, found Nancy Sproul. She didn't actually drink coffee, but I gave her uh, associates coffee. And they said, wow, well, if you're good enough for Hearts of Fire, we'll try you out. They tried me. And that's how I got on Seinfeld. And what from there, I started to work on the writer's room, and I would actually sit in writer's meetings while they're writing episodes of Seinfeld. They literally used to open up the USA Today. Larry David was at the head of the table. You had all the writers. And I would sit there making them coffees, listening to how they write these amazing shows like Lobster Hands, The Bizarro. I mean, all these episodes that are iconic. And he used to go, hey, Mocha Joe. Because he, he knew I was Mocha Kiss, and he used to call me Joe. So he put the two names together, and next thing you know, I'm Mocha Joe. And then he would start interacting with me on set, and then, uh, you know, behind the scenes. And I would be carrying a tray of coffee. He'd come and, like, you know, see me outside. What, what you got there, Mocha Joe? What, 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 what? And he's, like, looking at everything. And uh, that's how it started. And then uh, he actually left the show in the final season. And then I, I went from, uh, the, I've worked the last three seasons of the show. I mean, iconic episodes, like the one where the, the shower, the, the giant, he gets the giant shower thing. It's like an elephant shower. Totally. <laughs> like, I remember I was there uh, when I shot that and the thing explodes. What's and he, your favorite Seinfeld episode? Oh, Lobster Hands. Bizarro is the name of the episode. Yeah, Bizarro. Yeah. Man hands. Man hands. Yeah, man hands. Man hands. Man hands. Yeah, that that was my favorite uh, by far. And, I love that. Yeah, but there's some. I mean, there's some such classic episodes there, and it was so interesting to like see them now, 30 years later, like you said on television, when I was actually there while they were filming them. You know, to see them being written. I was there when they were writing them, and there when they were blocking, and then when they were filming. One of the things that I don't, you know, I'm always afraid about is knowing too much information on the inside. Now, the coffee journey. I don't mind knowing all of it. I'm learning sure. as I go. I'm learning from people like you. I'm learning from different shops around the world that I'm going to. Like I'm trying to take my listeners and viewers and stuff on a journey to learn about it instead of coming at it from an approach that I know everything, which I don't. Same with movies, though. I, I would be paranoid about getting on a movie set and seeing how they shot this movie. And then the next time I see it, I'm like, well, they use this or they use that and they use this and you know, they use the Johnson camera, whatever the hell that is, whatever, <laughs> you know, to give, to take away the, 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 the experience of being the viewer. So did you find that like now that you've been a part of those and you're in the writing room for those that you obviously, when that episode comes on, you're like, Oh, I mean, obviously you were standing in the Seinfeld kitchen or you were standing here, or you're standing there. So it's a different feeling for you, but has it changed your experience about watching that show? Knowing, you know, that I guess, unlike me watching Kenny Rogers roasters <laughs> and just appreciating it, you were actually looking at it and going, well, when that red light came in, I just served Larry at like a cappuccino. It, I remember it. That's how it was. It was crazy. 
it doesn't, uh, I, you know, I was going to film school, so I was just so fascinated about shots and how things were framed and, and it was, it didn't spoil it for me though. Not at all. <laughs> no. I'll tell you one interesting, uh, this is a, a little interesting fact. Phil Hartman, who was, um, you know, killed by his wife. Yeah, the late, that was such a genius. I was working on news radio and the night, I think it was the night he was killed. I remember serving him a cappuccino on set and like talking with him and everything. And then that night is when uh, everything went down. So that was kind of a fascinating experience. The history of life. Yes. That's I so- kind of feel like Forrest Gump, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like he seems to have been everywhere through history. Life's like to- a box, <laughs> box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Uh, it, life's like, like uh, coffee. I've always felt like a coffee is a metaphor for life. And I've, you know, I've touched on that in past episodes where basically it brings us all together. I mean, it brought us together th- organically through a- another thing. And I'm only a year and a half into my journey. So for me, it's it's amazing to be able to sit and have these conversations and learn these these things about people and it's all around coffee and I guess it would be the same people on a wine tour or they're on a whiskey tour or they're on whatever they're on this particular podcast is about coffee and the journey your journey is building and continues to build and so you go from movies you go from TV now you've now you've done what? Where do you go? Now you, you start opening your shop or now, or now you decide, okay, I'm branding this thing out or I'm going to start making individual brands. What was the next, what was the next phase for you? It's really interesting how you just described like your journey. And so for me, my journey started in entertainment. It's where I started, obviously, uh, personal coffee chefing, building stores on film lots where it evolved to was, and it's funny how life throws you obstacles that kind of curve like where you go, you know, and it's how you adapt and how you maneuver. And and just the music industry, for example, how it's changed since Napster and streaming and Spotify and Apple Music and all of that and how, you know, the revenue structures and then with film, you have Netflix has now changed the revenue of how films make money. For us, we were doing incredible, built this huge, I want to say, empire within entertainment of coffee. And then we got hit with a writer's strike. In 2007, there was a union strike. It shut down the entire entertainment industry for 100 days. So at that time, for me, I had built a huge facility. I had a roastery. I had management. I had staff. I had a warehouse guy, forklifts, uh, rents, stores. And that strike kind of put me in a different direction. For 100 days, employees wouldn't cross the picket lines at the film studio, so nobody would come into my stores. Our business dropped at our our retail locations because they were entertainment. Uh, Films weren't in production, so we didn't. So after that, I had a bad taste about the entertainment industry. Kind of changed the direction of, you know, there was supposed to be another strike in a couple years. Do I want to go through this again? And that's what kind of put me into the travel industry where I'm going to use the cachet of who I've served, what I've done and the credibility of that and move into luxury hotels and restaurants. For me, I do affirmations. I would affirm like who I wanted to work with, what I want to do. And somehow if it's in my subconscious or whatever, the doors opened for me and I got in with a restaurant group. They had four restaurants at the time. This is back in uh, 2008 and I got in with them. They gave me a shot. I, uh, they had a, a basically an operation that was in the, in the red. And they, it was a coffee operation. They asked me to look at it. 
I took a look at it. I got it within 90 days to break even. Another 90 days, I got it to profit. And they were like, whoa, you, this kid knows what he's doing. You know, can you come and look at our other operations? Well, I, so I grew with them. And the next thing you know, I grew from four restaurants with them to they now have 123 restaurants and 23 hotels. So I don't do all of their portfolio because a lot of them are through acquisitions and they're under contract. But I was able to grow with them. And that got me started segueing from entertainment into the luxury sector. Are you completely out of entertainment now? Or is it basically, you know, it's more 90-10 now? Or what's the, what's the ratio yeah. of what you're up to? You know, it's probably about 90-10. Because I've been doing entertainment for so long at one point in my life, I still get calls. Uh, just recently, I did a Nike commercial where they paid, they rented out all my vintage coffee equipment. They branded it with Nike. And then they paid me to come in and design a coffee operation. And then they hired me to do food styling for the shoot where I made Nike lattes. So I get hired by Netflix all the time for promotions. They do like uh, latte art promotions where, I, where I'll do like uh, something for a promo for the show. Or um, I've also been hired for commercials where I do coffee. Uh, you know, when someone does latte art in a scene, like that's a skill. They, the prop master can't pour a latte art, so they have to bring in a specialist. So I still get a lot of calls for that, quite a bit uh, throughout the year. And then um, I still work for Dr. Phil. I do personal coffee stuff for him. I just worked for him last week. So I still do uh, celebrity stuff once in a while, but it's not like it used to be. Cameron Diaz doesn't make movies anymore. Right. So um, she's kind of retired. Uh, Tom just did Top Gun 2, but uh, he... You know, it's it's different now. It's different so now. He doesn't have the big entourage he used to have. And yeah. do you? So now, the, the basically, the, it's everywhere. It's hotels. It's everything. You showed me earlier. We were we were doing some uh, artwork. Obviously, you're doing the latte art, and you're doing different things. We tried some different brands, different coffees. We tried an espresso. We tried the pour over. You're doing so much fancy coffee. Are, are you just simply coffee at home? Or are you are you like what's your gear at home? What are you working on at home? Well, I actually have a pretty kick-ass coffee bar built into my house in my living room. So I pretty much eat, drink, and sleep coffee. Uh, I will tell you this. My dad drinks espresso and goes to sleep. My mom drinks decaf and stays up. And unfortunately, <laughs> I got her genetics. So I really don't drink coffee after two. <laughs> but Except for the 17 we've had today. Exactly. That's hilarious. Um, but yeah, I'm, I am super sensitive to caffeine. So unfortunately, what you would think I, I'd have a tolerance at this point, but no. <laughs> the uh, And how we connected here was through our buddy Ray Lazier from Corn, who uh, was telling me about the brand, the coffee corn, or mm -hmm. sorry, corn coffee. Sure. Let me go that way with it. Uh, corn coffee. And you made them a brand. So they're out selling it. Uh, we've tried it out on tour and they have corn coffee at all the shows and they're selling it in merch. And how did that come about? And where are you going with it now? You're trying to do this for more bands, more people. You've also got what, Machine Gun Kelly as well. So that's, a, that's really cool and specialized. It's a very interesting niche, to say the least. Uh, the way corn came about was I was playing in a basketball league and in the league... Their man, one of their managers was in the league with me and we were friends for years. And then when this came about that they wanted to do a coffee thing, he, uh, the manager called me and said, hey, you know, we're thinking of doing this. We know you're an expert in, in the coffee field. 
And it started with one meeting. I met with, uh, I think I met with Monkey first. And we kind of built a relationship from there. And then I met uh, with Ray and then I met the rest of the band. And then me and Ray really connected. You know, he is uh, very passionate about coffee and we kind of share the same passion. And just, uh, he's a great guy. They all are great guys. And, but that's basically how it came about. And then so what I did is I started to design a blend. And it wasn't like, oh, let's just slap their name on a blend. We did probably about 18, I call them drafts, where we create 18 different blends. And then we narrow it down to nine. And then we narrow it down to six and then three. And then we went with the one that was the most popular of the three. But it was a lot of tweaking. It was a lot of uh, figuring out roasting temperatures. How dark do we want to go? How light? Uh, what is going to cater to the most people? You know, because uh, and their fans and their following. And it was a, really a way for them to connect with their fans. Uh, it was really a connective device, and it just you know it's been a real hit, and the reviews have been amazing on it, uh, which is is great. Were they? I I've tasted it. It's great. It makes a really great espresso. Yes. You know we've been trying that out. They they're doing the dri- their drip backstage. Some of the some of the corn coffee people that are coming by. The espresso uh, we made out of it tasted really really great. Um, and uh, Ray hadn't. I don't think he had had it in an espresso yet. So we had made it and I'm traveling with a portable espresso maker and so we we gave it a go and and, I, and he really dug it so that was it's cool that it's it can take various forms and various um, it's good cold uh, brew too really, really good cold brew I'm gonna have to try in a cold brew I haven't actually done the cold brew yet I'm not a cold coffee guy I know I'm missing out some <laughs> of the guys that were touring that. Yeah, we're, we're gonna, gonna have to <laughs> change that and try it out that's really cool um when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So it's been really cool meeting those guys and their journey. And were they along for the ride? Did they taste every single thing? Were they, you know, in LA, I think you mentioned that you're in Vegas. So, you know, we'll get to that. But uh, were they there the whole time or or did you have to ship it out to them? What was the idea here? No, we, I met with them over the course of, uh, I want to say like six months. I met with them quite a few times and kind of narrowed down the tastings. We would have these, like, I would submit, like, like I said, I would submit like 18 blends. Then we would do nine. I would keep meeting them and it would get lower and lower until we got the right one. But it was over a period of time. And then they actually came to my facility in Vegas and they actually got on the roaster. They, they saw how we sourced beans. They like got, they, they tried it. They did all the steps of roasting and we kind of walked them through it. And it was a really cool experience and they were super into it. So, um, but yeah, they were really receptive to it. And you got machine gun Kelly as well. Yeah. He, uh, that's been a he's been more of a concept uh, where the corn's been a brand so he's uh, launching actually in October now uh, the 27 club it's going to be a themed coffee spot it is going to be a bar as well and so what it started with uh, I was introduced to them uh, to him I should say and uh, we met and we hit it off and then we started playing around with different coffees and then um we designed so for that it was more of a concept right for the coffee store so we we were brought on to help design the coffee portion of the store 
sourcing equipment, this, creating the blend. And actually, the blend we created for him was a huge hit, too. We sold out hours after releasing it at one of his uh, music festivals, uh, EST Fest. And again, huge, very receptive, uh, positive reviews. Fans went crazy. Uh, this is kind of crazy. We had one bag left on a limited edition run, and a guy came and wanted it. They told me not to sell it. He said, I will give you $100 for that bag of coffee. And I, the management said, go ahead, sell it. <laughs> $100. I wonder if he's actually coffee. made anything out of it at this point or if it's sitting on his shelf as the $100 bag of coffee. <laughs> it's pretty awesome, but he uh, and he paid cash. So There you go. <laughs> Uh, so but, uh, you're in Vegas now. I'm in Vegas. I got a lot of people in Vegas. Uh, uh, some of my good friends in this business live in Vegas, and I'm not sure they know that you're there, which they will now. And uh, you may get a regular uh, visit from, uh, you know, my buddies uh, from Slash's band that all live there. Awesome. So uh, I'm sure they're going to want to want to come by and test it out. What's going on in Vegas? That's where your roastery is now. Yeah, so what happened was my mentor who took me under his wing and who I apprenticed for, as a, he was a master roaster, he, in about 2013, he sold his roastery. He had retail stores. He sold his retail stores. He basically sold everything. He got divorced. Uh, older gentleman, on a whim, he randomly moved to Vegas. And he came to me and said, Jeremy, I'm starting a cold brew coffee company. I need you to come in and be my roaster. So I thought about it and I said, wow, this is my teacher. He's now going to be my equal. We're going to work together. What an experience. He built this beautiful state-of-the-art facility. So I uh, gave him half my facility in Los Angeles. I took half his facility in Vegas. And together we had these two facilities. He started this cold brew business. It took off. He got into Whole Foods. And him and I, I got a large contract at the same time. And next thing you know, we like outgrew our space. We had 7,000 square feet. We're on top of each other. So he said, hey, you know, where we're at is a bunch of uh, commissaries, like a bunch of warehouses. He said, you take the roastery. I mean, you take the building next to us. I'll take the one on the other side. We'll break the walls down. We'll build this 21,000 square foot, beautiful state-of-the-art facility for roasting and cold brew. I take the lease. He then gets Trader Joe's. He then gets Sprouts. He gets uh, Kroger. He gets Costco. Well, now he's out of money. <laughs> and uh, he needs to raise capital because now he's got all these orders. So what he did is he ended up selling that business to a hedge fund who came in and uh, took it over. And they, they were able to fund it and grow it. And so we ended up separating from the hedge fund business and went in to the facility next door. And that's basically how we ended up in Vegas, which is funny because I came with my friend slash mentor and he was out of the business at that point. Crazy. So, um, but it, you know, they're great. The hedge funds, great people. We work with them. We, we do a lot of stuff for them and uh, it's been, and then, so we had now two facilities, one in LA and one in Vegas and we had to choose, you know, and we love Vegas. We love uh, the people there. Uh, the cost of living is, is, is low and and so employees have great you know lifestyles and you know it's a great quality of life and so that, that was a big thing for us too is we want our we want to have quality employees and good morale and mm -hmm. so vegas was key for that the facility we built was state-of-the-art brand new and so and, and your method 
is uh, of roasting yes. is you not necessarily totally unique to you, but you're one of only a few that are doing it. So let's walk through that quickly and then uh, we'll get out of here. Okay. Well, we coined the phrase cloud roasting. So basically what cloud roasting is, is it's basically roasting on a bed of air. Uh, completely different than all the other roasters out there. All the other roasters are drum roasters, all the big guys. Uh, basically, what does that mean? They're using a hot metal drum. There's heat applied to the metal drum. It's rotating around. The bean roasts as it hits the metal. So think of it as a frying pan, right? And you got the bean in the frying pan. It's only roasting when it hits the hot metal. With our process, we are lifting the bean off of the metal, enveloping it in air 100% of the time so it's an even roast. Uh, the result of that is a clean, very bright, less acidic, uh, no irritants, no, uh, you know, higher in antioxidants. Because what we're doing is we're not burning the shell of the coffee into the bean. We're actually blowing it off. So that's the shafe is blowing off. And then so that's part of the clean process. And then the result is, for us, a real deep taste. My first roaster I ever owned, I learned on an airbed roaster. Or a cloud roaster. So def- uh, that it, it sounds to me it's almost like a like like pardon my ignorance, but like popcorn, just like popcorn, like a hot air popcorn uh, uh, roaster, basically. So we have two of them. We got a full bagger and a half bagger, and basically, I learned on on an airbed roaster, and I also owned my first roaster I ever owned was a drum roaster. So I've I've used both roasting processes, and I am such a fan of taste for airbed roasting. One thing I want to point out is uh, we have a company we did roasting for. They roast on a drum roaster. They submitted uh, us the same formulation of their beans, and they asked us to roast for it because their roaster broke down one day. So we took their roast, their beans, and we roasted them on our roaster. They submitted them to their client. Their client came back and said, hey, guys, uh, the coffee's tasted better than it's ever tasted. <laughs> so I think you should put on your website... Jay Gersey Coffee. Stealing business <laughs> for 20 years because <laughs> you've come into the movie business and took all the business. And you came in with the new method of roasting and they changed the way that they like coffee. It's it's really, I got to tell you, Brent, they, it was the same exact beans, the same formulation, different roasting process. And so then the company... Our buddy had a problem. Hey, they really like the flavor of your roast. What do we do? Now we're doing all the roasting for them. Uh, <laughs> that's so, amazing. But th- but that's a perfect example of, again, same beans that were drum roasted being airbed roasted. And in blind taste tests, I'm telling you, airbed all the way. And it's better for the environment, as you said. Better for the environment. Uh, for example, and if you have roasters that are listening to your podcast, on a drum roaster once a week, you have to tear down your vent. You tear, you know, stop roasting. You have to open up your ventilation. You have to clean out your, uh, you know, it's almost like a moss that builds up, which is the shaft. And that's how you get roaster fires. And that also blocks the flow of air coming out of the roaster. Ours is a clean burning roaster. You open up our ventilation, there's nothing there completely clean. We never have to shut down. We can roast 24 hours a day, nonstop one roast after the other, after the other, because we have a continuous roaster. So that's another, you know, bonus as well, besides for us, what we think is a stronger, like locked in flavor. And 
our roaster has actually been modified. We have variables that we can put in place. Everything's computerized. It's consistent. But we can roast to first crack. If we have like a single origin Ethiopian yoga chef, we can roast it to just first crack and get the real flavor of the origin of the bean over, say, the roast. You know, or we can do blends, you know, and, and roast to second crack or just past second crack. So we have all kinds of controls in place. And, and it's really, to me, a superior roasting process. The average coffee drinker that doesn't study coffee, that is just out popping into, in Canada, Tim Hortons, eh? <laughs> popping into Tim Hortons and down here, say, Dunkin' Donuts, or they go to Starbucks or whatever. What, uh, what are they getting? What are they getting for a roast? They're getting drum roasted coffee. They're getting drum roasted, and yeah. are they getting the first crack? Like, what are they getting over roasted because they ship in mass quality? Like, I've heard Starbucks kind of roast theirs a little differently. But to the average person listening to this right now, that that is like, I don't know what he means. When they drink your coffee, they'll know what you mean. But just in general, to the average listener, what are they drinking? So. On average, they're probably drinking a medium to dark roast. So in regards to the chemistry of coffee, right, that there's first crack, there's second crack, there's endothermic, there's exothermic. So when you're roasting coffee, and I'm going to get real coffee nerdy here. That's okay, because I feel like I'm on crack. We're Being applying on the coffee. heat. So we're applying heat from the outside in when you start the initial process of roasting. Then what happens is once you get first crack, the heat now comes from the inside out. So it's exothermic. There's endothermic, exothermic. And so then the process changes. So when you get to second crack, it's going from, it's coming from the inside out. So, you know, basically what that means, if you do only up to first crack, uh, that's a lighter roast. It's a lot stronger in caffeine because the caffeine is uh, in the shell of the, the shape of the coffee and it's on the bean still. It's um, and then you have companies like I'm going to say Starbucks who have blonde roasts and stuff as well, but tend to roast darker and you're tasting more of the roast over the origin of the bean. We tend to balance our roast. We do origin and balance uh, and roast as a balance. So you're not tasting the roast. You're not tasting the bean. It's kind of right in the middle, like which is a medium roast. So we also do breakfast blend, which is lighter. We do a darker roast, which is our dark noir. And then, uh, but our most like popular is our medium roast. We have vintage black diamond, which is like a connoisseur's blend, very chocolatey. And then we have an Italian reserve that's our probably our most popular. So those are two medium roasts. Medium applies more to the masses uh, when you're, you know, you have to decide right when you're when you're creating a roast. Are you appealing to the hipster? Are you you know to the coffee connoisseur to the family? You know, who who are you gearing your blends towards? And, you know, for us, we tend to go more towards the medium roast because it reaches a more mass audience. Uh, but it's it's a hard thing. It's just like when you create a mocha, right? Do you make it so it's like tastes like baking chocolate or do you make it so it's chocolatey? We look at it like, you know, you don't go into 7-Eleven and get a Hershey bar and it doesn't and expect it not to taste like chocolate. If you're ordering a mocha, it should taste like it chocolate. Like it chocolate. should be sweet. It should be balanced, but it shouldn't taste like baking chocolate. You know, uh, that's kind of how we look at it. How many cups do you drink a day? 
Two and a half. Two and a half. Not past 2 p.m. Nothing after 2 p.m. Except for today. I did drink it today. Is it past 2 p.m. already? Well, thanks, (laughs) dude, for coming on here. Let me tell you something. Uh, We're building this thing out, and I'm having the best time learning about coffee, meeting coffee people from around the world. I know that you came all the way from L.A., which, you know, is not far in the big picture, but it is when you're trying to get from LA to Costa Mesa, which is, you know, a long journey for you. And I really appreciate the time. I've had the benefit of, um, having a couple of uh, portable espresso, uh, makers given to me to give away. So for coming on, I'm going to give you one. It's called the lever presso. Awesome. It's espresso on the go. Try your bean out. I'm very curious to think, uh, to, to hear what you think of it, uh, how it's, how it tastes out of yours. Uh, just, just for my own purpose, but we're going to send you one down I guess we'll send you one down to Vegas or I'll send you one to LA. You just let me know where you want it to go. Uh, but uh, I can't uh, thank you enough for being on here. Uh, what's next for you? Where can we find you online? And uh, we'll finish up. So you can find us at J Gersey coffee. That's J G U R S E Y coffee.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at J Gersey coffee. And uh, next for us, we're uh, working on a a casino resort out of Minnesota. Uh, We're putting together a coffee program for them. And then we're doing a a Cuban cafe in Miami. And then we're launching 27 Club for uh, Machine Gun Kelly in Cleveland. That uh, sounds busy for you. (laughs) I'm definitely staying busy. I'm going to be the most caffeinated guy in the graveyard. What a great story. Thanks for joining me, my friends, for part two of my interview with Jeremy. Uh, it was meant a lot for you guys to come back and, uh, and invest the time. Remember to like, share, tweet, tag, do whatever you got to do. Uh, let's get it out there. Let's get it to more listeners. We're rising. We're rising in downloads. We're rising in, in, uh, in listenership and followers. It's really going great. I'm having a blast. You guys have been amazing. Super supportive. Thanks, friends. Brenton on tour. Out. Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at BroadcastDialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.